Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM, brought to you this time by Squarespace and Ladder. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Stephen. How are you doing? I'm good, Jason. Uh, it's a, been a busy week for both of us. There's, there's yep. tech stuff going on. Yeah. I was just watching the Pixel event before this. Apple had their event. But we're talking about space. Yep, there's a Sam, Samsung event tomorrow. Let's not talk about any of those things. Let's talk about space. I agree. Let's talk about space. Let's talk about it's it's a it's a Samsung Galaxy. It's a space gray. Um, mm. It's other things. The, the tech people, they know space is where it's at. They That's do. what I'm saying. There, there are a lot of space names and tech products, aren't there? Yeah, there really are. Fascinating. Okay, let's start. Let's start our pre-flight checklist okay. before we dig into the big topics of the of the uh, episode. Be- before we do, before we do, could you get me yeah. a glass oh. of ice water? Uh, from I have one right here mm. from an icy moon. Ooh, mm, refreshing ice cold moon. <laughs> mm. <laughs> moon water. I just drop a Europa in your drink, and uh, <laughs> you're good for a while. Um, yeah, I have I have ice moon news. Perfect. It's ice moon news time. Interesting story about uh, some people who used uh, years of Hubble Space Telescope data observing two of Jupiter's moons in order to make some discoveries about water on those moons. But And these are moons with big oceans that we believe under their surfaces, their icy surfaces. But this is not that kind of water. It's a different kind of water, which is kind of cool. So uh, Europa is the one everybody thinks of, of course, when you think of an icy, watery uh, moon in the outer solar system. Europa comes to mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently, they, they looked back at this Hubble data from, from 1999 through 2015, which is so a lot of data. It's pouring over the data to see if something could be gleaned from it. And what they found is persistent water vapor in the atmosphere of Europa, but only half of Europa. Weird. Which is kind of interesting. Um, now, obviously, we've uh, observed water vapor on Europa, um, just like with Enceladus around Saturn. There's this, you know, plumes that kind of the, they get out the like the cracks in the ice and they shoot out and in fact can shoot out into space. Um, we've seen that Hubble took pictures of it in 2013. They're basically like big 60 mile high kind of water geysers in the outer solar system. It's pretty cool. Um, and as you would expect, they prove they produce sort of transient blobs of water vapor in the atmosphere. But that's not what this is. This is a similar amount to that, but spread over a larger area. It's not just in the geyser area. Um, The idea here is that there is a long-term presence of water vapor in the atmosphere, in in Europa's atmosphere, but only the trailing hemisphere, only the hemisphere that is behind the direction that it's moving along its orbit. It's just playing Comet. That's what it's doing. It is. It's comedy uh, a little bit. And so it's not entirely understood. Obviously, there is a dynamic to the system here where where the water vapor ends up surviving in the trailing space and not in the uh, in the forward space. Keep in mind, too, that this is not the side facing Jupiter or the side facing the sun. It's the side behind the motion of travel. So that's interesting. That's a that's a thing uh, learned. And then uh, similarly, recently they used the same method to find evidence of water vapor on Ganymede. Um, Now, Ganymede doesn't have 
geysers like Europa because the the ice at Ganymede is like 100 miles thick on the surface. And keep in mind that at uh, temperature out here, um, ice is as hard as rock. It's basically rock in the outer solar system. It's Ice is as solid as uh, you can get. And yet, um, apparently, the sun at high noon... Uh, shining down on the ice of Ganymede, the charged particles hitting the surface of the ice is enough to toss out a little bit of water vapor. And um, this is the first time that that water vapor has been found at Ganymede. Um, They look at Ganymede's aurora over a couple of decades using the Hubble data. They trace the presence of oxygen, which is linked to the presence of water molecules uh, frying up like like uh, like flicking some some water on the surface of a hot frying pan. They just <laughs> that's sort of what's happening out here at different temperatures in the outer solar system. So so more interesting things that we didn't really know for sure about the the water dynamics of these ice moons in the outer solar system. So it's just uh, that's fun. There's stuff going on out there, right? Like the the they're very, incredibly fascinating objects. The the ice moons. Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, and even in this story, the way that, okay, well, this water, like the way that we see it and the way that it is behaving is different than geysers that are like working their way through the cracks, right? Because Ganymede's just a very different place than Europa. It's all super fascinating. And uh, I just can't wait until we get to explore them up close with things like Europa Clipper in a few years. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's one of the most interesting places, maybe the most interesting thing in the solar system. So great, other than us, you know, we're but we're boring because we're we live here. Um, so you know, next up, ice moons, pretty good stuff. I mean, they don't have Twitter on Europa, so we got that going. So for that's us. in their favor. Yeah, yeah. it is. No, it's in their favor. Yeah, it works. That works out for them. Hey, do you remember that weird Astro launch where the rocket sort of uh, power slid off? Slide to yeah. the side. Slide to the side. Exit stage that's right. right. Just, Slid off the launch pad, and then they ended up uh, hitting the button and uh, and killing the launch. Uh, well, Astro's back with some uh, information about uh, what they believe happened, and it seems like in the really in the in the hours after that, and then in the days, there was a lot of speculation that it looks like one of the the five engines uh, cut off prematurely, or maybe didn't even fire in the first place, and so you had a. Uh, an uneven amount of thrust to the bottom of the rocket and it wasn't enough to tip it over. It wasn't enough for it to not launch. Uh, it just, well, it did what it did. It slid off the pad sideways. I rewatched the video in preparation of this and it's still, I'm sure it's a nightmare if you're working on it, but from the outside, it's such a delight for a delightful failure to watch. I just, it, it, I chuckled watching it again. Uh, so they're back saying that it looks like uh, that's exactly what happened, that one of the five engines was cut off due to uh, a, a liquid oxygen leak, uh, a fuel leak that happens uh, that happened upstream from where they uh, where they mix and ignite. And so it wasn't able to fire or it got cut off by the computer. And that's what led to its its launch failure. Uh, they say they have. Uh, re-engineered and reconfigured the uh, propellant supply system. So even if they were to both leak again, they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't mix. So it sounds like they had some mixing of liquid oxygen and fuel 
they're probably lucky it didn't explode. I think I kind of gathered that from reading about this, that, hmm. you know, had this happened maybe a little bit later in flight or had it been uh, a bigger leak, maybe this would have gone off uh, in a much more um, damaging way to the pad. You know, we spoke about that when we covered this, that Astra kind of dodged a bullet. Yeah, they lost a launch vehicle, but... It didn't take out their their ground systems with it, and it seems like maybe they got maybe they got lucky there, which is good for a young company. Uh, they're going to attempt again with this revised design. Uh, as uh, their launch window opens on October twenty seventh, so right at the end of the month, uh, that will be LV triple O seven, LV zero zero seven. Catchy name, uh, but that zero 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 seven. Zero, that's like yeah, triple O seven is a license to launch. I guess. Yes, I think so. Yeah, by the way, we totally missed it. Um, uh, listener Ryan in the Relay FM members Discord pointed out that what we really should have said about that previous launch is that it all went sideways. Oh, good job, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. That's, man, it's right there. We just, yeah, and we, mm, we really dropped the ball. Solid, solid. <laughs> it's been a hectic week. Hey, Stephen, remember Starliner? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, I shouldn't laugh, but you got to laugh to keep from crying. Boeing continues to investigate what caused those 13 valves to stick in the closed position during the attempt to launch Starliner to the International Space Station in its repeated test flight uh, a couple months ago. The leading uh, guess about the cause is that nitrogen tetroxide propellant leaked through the valve, reacted with moisture and created nitric oxide, Ugh, bad stuff, that would that then corroded the valve. My understanding is that seepage of nitrogen tetroxide through the valve is not unexpected. You know, this sort of thing has occurred before on other spacecraft, including the space shuttle. But something happened that made those valves all stick. The valves are going to be removed from the craft and sent to NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center for CT scans and additional tests. It's nice that uh, valves get the high-quality medical treatment that they need. It's good. It's very important. Get the CT scan, and maybe they'll do a <laughs> blood panel and a colonoscopy while it's there. Wow. I don't know. That, that wow. I don't know. You really got to uh, get you in gotta there. Check. I'm worried about the valves. I hope they're okay. Uh, they're not. They're not. They're very sick. Anyway, um, one of the biggest issues is why the corrosion. She's very sick. <laughs> That's right. She needs help. Uh, one of the biggest issues is why the corrosion showed up on the spacecraft when it was not seen in the first test flight, which we yeah. remember had the software problems and didn't get to the ISS, but it seemed fine and they've done other ground tests. They seem fine. And yet what happened? And there's speculation about like the weather uh, at the, and the length of time that it was out at the pad, like but we don't know why this happened this time. And that's you got to you got to nail that down, right? Yeah, and this particular Starliner had been used in some environmental testing, and Boeing says that that was not a reason uh, for this this issue. So they're still working on it. They're having a, a press conference like right now. So <laughs> like as we record, our times are the same. It couldn't be changed. So uh, we may have some more information about this uh, by the time you're hearing this, but seems like um, that's another big delay for for starliner and that that's a bummer it is why you have two options in commercial crew i mean in fact uh spacex crew three is launching the end of this month but uh, not good news for the starliner team no it's real bad and and mid 2022 is basically what they're talking about there so remember the year of commercial crew 
Um, you're a Starliner. We're still counting. It's keep and keep in mind, this is going to be the uncrewed test flight. And if it passes, then they would send people on a test flight, and then it would be deemed operational for the ISS. So we're talking about a long, um, a long time. Um, but anyway, they are they are now targeting this just in from the press conference. They are targeting first half of 2022 for that mission. Um, it sounds like May is their first starting point, but as we know, like we, we are, we're talking mid, they can call it first half, but it really is mid 2022, mm-hmm. but before, uh, this has happened, they have, uh, you know, they, they have removed a couple of valves. They're trying to make sure that, uh, they can hone in on the most probable cause and, uh, They've left one valve still stuck because they want to keep it in its stuck state in need the, in case they need it for further evaluation. Uh, good news is they had so many valves that were stuck <laughs> that they could do that. So anyway, we'll see what happens with Boeing Starliner, um, but it's not great and it continues to get pushed back. And I'm glad they're working the problem, but it's a problem and it's going to be... Um, it's going to be a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that mid 22 launch, it may not be this exact Starliner. They have right. another module that from what I've read is basically done. And it may be that whatever the valve fixes, they, yeah. they apply it to that. And that's what launches. Maybe this one gets uh, overhauled or uh, I think right. they're too early into this to know exactly how that will play out. Right. If, if they can launch more expediently with their, their second Starliner and then refurb this to deal with the damage and have corrected it for the next one, they might swap them um, because that was going to be the one used in the crude test, I think. So they may just bring it up, but we'll see. Uh, tough times, but uh, maybe they're getting to the bottom of it and we'll probably, my guess is by the end of the year, we'll have a better idea of sort of what the um, Starliner timeline is going to be, but it really, you know, we're talking mid next year mm-hmm. before they're going to be ready. Well, let's, uh, let's take a break. All right. This episode of Liftoff is brought to you by Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they have you covered with everything you need. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and make your ideas a reality. You start with a professionally designed template and use drag-and-drop tools to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, and so much more with just a few clicks. And all of your work is optimized for mobile visitors. Your content automatically adjusts so it looks great on any and every device. You also get free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and the dependable resources you need to succeed. There's nothing to patch or upgrade with Squarespace. They have tools that let you easily and quickly grab unique domain name, manage your SEO, uh, market over email, and they have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help with that stuff. I love using Squarespace for websites because I can get something up and running uh, that looks really good without that much work and with no coding, which is fantastic. And as a organization's needs change over time, it's really easy to change out components of the site, update the design, keep the content fresh. So head on over to squarespace.com liftoff for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code liftoff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name. That's squarespace.com liftoff. 
When we decide to sign up, use the offer code LIFTOFF to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of LiftOff and all of Relay FM. All right, Stephen, let's go to low Earth orbit um, and talk about the International Space Station. There's stuff going on, good stuff, new stuff, bad stuff, all sorts of stuff going on at the ISS. This is a story that has been floating, <laughs> get it, floating oh. around. Mm. Yeah, floating around for a while. It's been in free fall. Mm-hmm. It's We're just around the Earth. That's no, good. Yeah. Uh, this is about the um, first commercial destination module for the International Space Station. And the reason I put this in there, the story is a little bit uh, older at this point, but I just, I realized we've talked a lot about what's going on um, at the International Space Station in terms of commercial crew and stuff with the Russian Space Agency, which is part two of this topic. But there's sort of like in the background, there's this story and projection of what does the International Space Station look like longer term. And, you know, one part of that is uh, commercial modules. And so we have right. things like uh, Bigelow, may they rest in peace, with their mm. expandable... Beam. Uh, was that a expandable noise? Beam. I'm just saying beam. Beam. The Bigelow expandable something module air filled <laughs> I, I don't know air, i don't think sure. i don't know if it was air filled. Air, air air popper module air yep. popper module it's a closet look it's a it's a folding closet it is for the iss yep um the world's most glamorous closet perhaps who's gonna pay to remove that now or does it just stay there and i don't know do they close the door or, I, I don't know I it just stays there forever um hmm. but as uh man that's a really big question what happens to parts of the international space station in the future but i don't know um Especially when their creators go out of business. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Um, but Axiom Space of Houston was selected like over a year ago to be um, the provider for one uh, inhabitable commercial module to be attached to the space station. And uh, I think it's kind of the beginning of a, um, of a multi-year process where, and I'm quoting from this NASA press release, in which NASA is one of many customers of the International Space Station. And, you know, we've spoken about the possibility that it gets broken apart, or maybe there's like a commercial space station that replaces it, and the ISS is, you know, taken apart and is allowed to re-enter, which it has to be taken apart to do so safely. It's way too big to enter, uh, re-enter the Earth's atmosphere as it is. Um, But as, as we talk about commercial crew, and all of these other things, uh, you know, shooting movies on the space station. Uh, I just, I just kind of wanted to touch base on this idea of commercial destinations, commercial modules uh, attached to the Inter- International Space Station. So um, NASA and Axiom are like in this process of uh, budgeting and having this um, this module designed and put together. But it's just it's just fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me to think about the the future of the ISS. Yeah, I mean, we don't. I, I put another link that we can uh, put in the show notes. That's just an, a speculative piece on the Space Review about uh, the future of the ISS. It's the same thing, sort of like there's commercial and there's like the politics between the U.S. and Russia and. Um, and when I, you know, talk about Beam and uh, listener Tom in the Relay FM members Discord said, you know, it was designed to deflate. You put it in, back in the trunk of a dragon and let it burn up on reentry. Fair enough. But I think the larger point is sort of like 
my Bigelow Aerospace being essentially out of business, um, you know, somebody's got to do that, and it's not going to be Bigelow; it's going to be NASA, uh, and that's the larger point, which is you you can passively let these things just fall apart and re-enter, but at some point you need to actively decide we're going to pull the plug and we're not going to support this anymore, and and that time may be coming for the International Space Station. It's unclear when or how. Um, and adding something like a module, a, a, a space hotel kind of module at the ISS in order to put uh, space tourists somewhere when they get to the ISS and like have it be part of a larger thing that generates revenue for NASA or for the Russian Space Agency or whoever, um, everybody's sort of trying to figure this out. But uh, it definitely feels like uh, there's no at least publicly discuss sort of like end game for this. And everybody's still kind of jockeying for position about what the long term, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it can't last forever. And nobody is talking about building a whole bunch of new modules and replacing the old modules. So what is the end game here? And uh, it's kind of unclear, but the explore using it as an exploration for commercial low earth, Orbit uh, space stuff is good, even if a lot of those companies like Axiom talk about how in the long run they probably would build essentially their own little space station um, and operate it instead. And I think that even NASA sort of is using this as a way to gauge sort of what the commercial low Earth orbit applications are, like the idea that they would end up being a commercial space station that NASA would send people to. And and maybe that's where where it really does end up is that the ISS gets decommissioned and there are companies doing what SpaceX and Boeing are doing for commercial crew and what other you know commercial companies have done for commercial um, launches, which is a commercial space station that um, that NASA can basically rent space in and rent time in and that other space agencies could do the same. Maybe that's the future, but that's not the ISS, right? The, we, we also have to wonder what happens. Like, when do they say, okay, we've been here since the year 2000, but we're, we're leaving and th- nobody will be here and we're pulling the plug and we're, you know, dismantling it. So much of it depends, I feel like, on what Russia decides to do. Right. They can partner with China where NASA cannot. And there's a lot of question about the the long term you know, health of their space program uh, with their uh, financing and everything else going on. And, you know, the, the USS, the U.S. cannot do this alone. Uh, right. We have Artemis and uh, we, you know, we're going to build a, a small space station in cislunar space and. You know, I think the idea for a long time has been you know, eventually hand over the International Space Station, hand over those keys to commercial partners. But, you know, will it be in good enough shape to do that in the future? Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. And that does tie into the, sort of the second story. And so <laughs> remember um, earlier this this year, just a f- couple of months ago, uh, there was the story where uh, a, a Russian service module had a new module had been docked to the space station and its thrusters uh, were fired and they weren't able to turn them off. And uh, the whole international space station ended up actually spinning around about one and a half times, uh, sort of finally stopping quote upside down a full 540 degrees. Uh, That loss of attitude control was uh, uh, pretty scary. And, you know, it wasn't real clear at the, in the beginning of how bad it was, and as we as time has gone on, we've learned more about 
just how much rotation was uh, put into the station itself. Uh, but that has happened uh, a second time. So not as, uh, not as dramatic. Uh, Russia says the ISS went opposition only by 57 degrees this time. But what happened is uh, Soyuz MS-18, which has since returned to Earth, that was the uh, the capsule that the Russian film crew that's been on the space station, they were returning home in. Uh, they were doing regular checkout tests before they were going to release it and it was going to come back to Earth. And one of those tests is a, uh, a firing of the thrusters. And that test went on longer than expected. Uh, it seems like that they were unable to shut them down and, and they eventually shut down on their own. Uh, some... Uh, the article in the New York Times indicates that these this thruster test may have had a timeout or a propellant limit to it, and once that was hit, then the test shut itself down. Uh, but this is now the second time where yeah. Russian hardware connected to the station has pushed the station out of uh, out of its set uh, attitude, and it did trigger the the loss of attitude control warning. Uh, so that's now twice in three months, and it's it's just a troubling event uh let alone you know <laughs> happening a second time in such a short period of time and this was the the uh the one with the the director and the actress who f- shot the movie up on the mm-hmm. iss and it was their it was their module um before they left and they did leave and come back to earth safely and all of that but um it's the second similar accident to happen and that first one was unprecedented and now it's very much precedented so i don't know what's going on up there it's been it's spinny it's uh it's not great it's not great especially given the politics and the tension about the iss between the u.s and and russia so i don't know we'll see what happens yeah something i think something's going to give in that relationship yeah i i do wonder if there's a breakup coming where it's like can we just dismantle like disconnect and like you take your part and we're going to take our part and go somewhere else in low lower awkward like we're just going to be over here uh, for like in low earth orbit but like over here and you stay over there i don't know i don't know um i actually don't know and i i would be interested to learn like what the scenarios are for dismantling or or um partially dismantling the international space station not even necessarily for uh sending it back and and having it burn up in the atmosphere but uh having it be decoupled because um, i know that russia it's been talked about before that russia's modules might um be you know disconnected and re assembled into a russian space station um, I don't know how realistic that is, so I'm curious. Somebody's, I'm sure somebody knows <laughs> all the possibilities about this because you've got to have contingencies, mm-hmm. especially if you're working with a partner that you're not sure you really trust. So I don't know. Yeah, you got to take your space station ball and go home. Sometimes that's right. Like we'll we'll just be over here. We're just going to very slowly move away from you with our <laughs> modules and our solar panels. Uh, well, we're going to wrap up this week talking about Lucy, uh, NASA's most recently launched spacecraft but uh, i will tell you about our second sponsor and that is ladder every now and then you hear about the admin expenses involved when someone passes away Uh, i don't know about you but that stuff can really play on my mind and i I worry about it and it makes sense why people uh, get life insurance especially term coverage which which is surprisingly affordable you can pay a bit each month to protect your loved ones 
Uh, and if you're asking yourself, you know, this question, you're looking at setting this up, check out Ladder. Ladder is 100% digital, no doctors, needles, or paperwork. When you apply for $3 million in coverage or less, you just need a few minutes and a phone or laptop to apply. Ladder smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out instantly if you're approved. You're not waiting for something, you know, something in the mail to be sent to you. You just find out right then. Of course, if you prefer to talk to a person, and lots of people do, their team of licensed agents don't work on commission, so they're going to help you, meet you where you are, and not try to upsell you. There are no hidden fees, and you can cancel any time and get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. And ladder policies are issued by insurers with long, proven histories of paying claims. They're rated A and A+, by AM Best. And finally, since life insurance costs more as you age, now's the time to cross it off your list. Don't wait. So go to ladderlife.com slash liftoff today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash liftoff, ladderlife.com slash liftoff. Our thanks to Ladder for their support of the show and Relay FM. So let's talk, let's talk about Lucy. Lucy News. Big Lucy News. Lucy, not an acronym named for the um, fossil uh, found... the. Australopithecus, I think, found uh, in Africa, um, Lucy. It is a, a robotic mission to study asteroids, and it launched this past weekend. It's uh, it's it's out there. Although um, there is a little bit of a catch that is still being worked on, which is that it's got two giant solar panels, um, and they're like twenty four feet in diameter. It's they're very very large. Uh, I should uh, look up how many feet, how many meters that is for our friends who use meters. It's set more than seven meters each, right? It's big. They're huge. Big, big, big. Yeah. However, after launch, uh, when they deployed the solar panels, one of them does not seem to be completely lo- latched into place, and they're still working on uh, that as of now. We don't know more. Uh, it's deployed, and it's maybe partially latched, but it's not 100%, and they're still working on it, although they express a fairly high confidence that they're going to be able to make it work. Um, as to what Lucy is, I think we've touched on it in the past, but now that it's uh, it's out there, it's worth uh, a refresher. It's going to be studying uh, Trojan asteroids. These are the, the Jupiter. So they're related to Jupiter, but they're not at Jupiter. And I think this is an important point. Many of the stories about the launch pointed out that at launch, Lucy is closer to Jupiter than it will be on its mission. <laughs> Because the Trojan asteroids are are so named because they're they're in these um, it's in the the uh, the forward and and rear positions in Jupiter's orbit. They're held there. Uh, it's a they're these Lagrange points. So the idea is that it's a a place where Jupiter's influence gravitationally and the Sun's influence gravitationally balance out, and so. Uh, as you might expect, you know, you've got a lot of debris in the solar system. It gets swept up by these gravitational entities. It gets, you know, hurled out of the system or hurled into the system and it burns up or hits a planet or whatever it does. And after you run the solar system for a few billion years, what you end up with is a collection of material in these these gravitationally neutral-ish places that... Uh, are not getting influenced. And so they just sort of like, they're the ones that are left or mm-hmm. they're pulled there and then they stay there. Um, so think of it almost like a, this isn't quite right, but almost like an eddy or something in a, in a stream. It's that idea is that they, they collect there. Um, 
and there are more than a million Jupiter Trojans larger than a kilometer. That's that's the belief. Lots and lots and lots. And all planets tend to have something like this. There are objects in Lagrange points. It it, it happens. Um, but uh, the Jupiter Trojan asteroids are really interesting and have never been studied. Um, the idea here is that they've been there stable more or less forever in terms of the life of the solar system, which means it is a museum of objects that are part of the formation of the solar system. It's really old stuff. And you see that that's why they might name Lucy after a famous fossil, Mm -hmm. because this is sort of like the fossils of solar system formation. Um, Everywhere else, this stuff collapsed into planets and, and, and moons and things or was swept away, but they remain in these kind of gravitationally uh, secure locations. So Lucy's going to be the first spacecraft. We're going to, it's going to investigate the Trojans. It's going to investigate eight of them, which is, I believe a record. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it has this big looping trajectory. It's going to, it's going to check out the forward ones. It's going to check out the backward ones. These are basically like ha- halfway, you know, behind and, and in front of Jupiter in this orbit. Um, and the first flyby is in 2025. Um, it's actually in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. It's not a Trojan that it's flying by first. It's like a checkout mission with a different asteroid. And then the other seven are Jupiter Trojans. So they're before or after. Um, so, so it's a, it's a really interesting collection of a bunch of big rocks that that is in a place that we haven't really been before that should teach us a lot about, um, the origins of the solar system and the formation of the solar system. And Lucy has on board a bunch of cool instruments. It's got, uh, color visible imager. It's got an infrared spectroscopic mapper that's based on the one on the New Horizons mission. Love to reuse that equipment if you can. That's good. Uh, as well as the high resolution visible imager that's also a New Horizons uh, level <laughs> instrument that's being um, repurposed, rebuilt, built and, uh, and reused. Uh, and a thermal infrared spectrometer, which can inform us of the composition and structure of the material on the surface of the asteroid. So a bunch of good stuff to keep an eye on these asteroids. Yeah, it's not very often that we get to visit material that is from the very beginning of the solar system. Right. Right. If these things hadn't been captured in in these, uh, like you said, basically gravity neutral places, they would have become a planet or a moon or gotten smashed by one. And yeah. they've been kind of preserved here for billions of years, potentially. And and these flybys will give us the opportunity to study them, to see what they're made of, to understand their structure, and really give us a look at the, you know, sort of the building blocks uh, of the solar system. So it's yeah. it's a super exciting mission. It's also, uh, like you said, it's, it is a record visiting eight objects. So it does have that sort of technical um, achievement with it as well yeah you know that's that's a big goal and you know things like uh like new horizons have shown us that we can do this i mean even way back with voyager right having multiple flybys on a mission something we've done for a long time but eight is a is a new a new number there so that is that is exciting uh it's going to be a while like you said 2025 is the first flyby and it's gonna it's gonna be a 12-year mission overall before all the flybys are done but uh, very, very exciting stuff. And speaking of Voyager, um, this spacecraft also has a special kind of historical 
monument plaque thing attached to it uh, containing the launch date, the positions of the planets at the launch date, the continents of the Earth at the time of launch, uh, its trajectory, and of course, culturally, 20 speeches, poems, and song lyrics from people including Martin Luther King Jr., Carl Sagan, and the Beatles. Um, this is relevant because Lucy's orbit, you know, it's, Lucy's not going to Jupiter, it's going to this Jupiter orbit, and it's in this looping orbit between the uh, Trojans, and it's a fairly stable orbit. So unlike a lot of our planetary missions that end up crashing into the planet in question, uh, or our really uh, deep space missions that just kind of go off into the void forever, uh, Lucy's going to be hanging around making its loops even after its mission is complete and even after it's been decommissioned. So um, that's kind of fun. It'll be out there and maybe in the future someday somebody uh, from Earth or elsewhere will go um, pick it up and take a look at that plaque because it's not going to be destroyed. It's just going to kind of be looping around in the solar system forever. Yeah, it's like a future game of hide and seek just waiting for us. Yeah, so we'll see about the solar panel thing. Um, they were working on it. I, my, You never know, but my, um, they seem fairly positive about it. And, and if I've learned anything in talking about space stuff for the last few years, it's that um, they, the people who are involved in these missions are really good at troubleshooting and making things work either getting it to be where they expected it to be in the beginning or finding a workaround that makes it still do its job, even if it's not what they expected. They're all very good at that. So I think, uh, you know, we're going to be optimistic about the fact that Lucy's going to tell us about eight different asteroids. And that's pretty cool. I think that does it for the Fortnite. I think so. I think so. Always lots of stuff going on mm-hmm. in, in space. Some, uh, some good, some bad, you know, some different... Did we even say William Shatner went to space? So uh, did no, good job, Captain Kirk. Did we didn't even get we didn't even mention that. I mean, we talked about it last time that he was going to do it. Yeah. He did it. They went. They came back. Ninety year old man went to space and uh, came back and and I thought was actually kind of eloquent in how it in talking about how it affected him. I thought that was actually a, my favorite thing about the whole thing was that uh, he he it's that thing that the more um, civilians we send to space, the more interesting and almost we're getting closer to the whole uh what is it in contact they should have sent a poet Mm -hmm. like the idea of having people who have different perspectives and who maybe have more of the um skill to describe uh being in space in ways that um that that haven't been heard before um and i didn't expect that from william shatner but I think we kind of got it, which was uh, kind of cool. Yeah. And also, I think I think Jeff Bezos was just really relieved that uh, that he didn't kill Captain Kirk. So, good job. If you want to find more about these stories, we have some links over in our show notes at relay.fm slash liftoff slash 161. Uh, there you can get in touch with feedback or follow-up. And, of course, you can uh, follow us on Twitter. Jason is there as Jay Snell. And you can follow me on Twitter as ISMH. Uh, Jason, until our next fortnight, say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Bye, y'all.